You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Becky and Susan from Central Florida. Grace Royce is an 18-year veteran of the music industry with a concentration in production management. Her experiences span thousands of festivals, tours, and live broadcast performances worldwide, including the U.S. Open, Good Morning America, Ellen, LANYC World Pride, and the Super Bowl. Being on both sides of the event experience, touring with headlining A-level artists globally, and hosting artists as on-site festival PM, understanding the needs of both sides gives her an exceptional operational vantage point. Grace credits her network of top-performing colleagues and their shared values for making every successful event possible. Welcome, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Uh... First of all, I have to ask you one question because I heard on another podcast that you live on a boat. I have lived on a boat for almost three and a half years. That's Uh, amazing. Yeah. What kind of boat is it? It's a little sailboat. It's only about 30 feet long. So it's kind of, it's got a tour bus vibe to it. As you can see behind Mm -hmm. me, there's like a couple beds, little kitchen, like when I first moved on to it, it was real comforting because it kind of has that sway and it feels cozy. <laughs> I just don't have 11 other um, drunk people trying to make quesadillas in the middle of the night. So that's pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> I actually right? grew up on a sailboat. My dad had one when I was a kid. And that he is so awesome. My yeah. original plan, uh, and this could parlay into our conversation about this crazy season that we're in and what everybody else is doing. But my original plan buying the boat was to downsize my expenses. I live here in Los Angeles. Nobody lives in an apartment for under a couple grand. Right. So I, I wanted to be able to stay, but I also wanted to be able to start making the kind of investments that some of my mentors were making. And you know, my mentors are doing like the big pop stars and they're buying businesses and pieces of land out in the middle of Wyoming. And uh, I just didn't know how in the world I could ever do that while juggling the expense of a Los Angeles apartment. So when the opportunity came up to live aboard a boat, I was like, I'm weird enough to do that. I could totally do that. (laughs) You know, like nobody's going to think that the tattooed roadie chick coming and going from the marina is like strange so uh right i was actually no they're their own kind of weirdos people who live on boats we totally (laughs) are we've got our own little crew and clan and it's really awesome Uh, the camaraderie around here sweet uh but it did give me a leg up and i was able to save up and buy a little project house up in missoula montana a few years back got that thing nearly paid off right before this whole debacle happened and you know I have some friends that are definitely struggling and I want to like tip my hat to them that they've gotten brave enough when they when they like need a job they they have humbled themselves and gone and done the damn thing and yeah Mm -hmm. uh there was a point where I was like I don't want to eat through my savings either you know paying my mortgage and so I went and and got a job and was working back for a veterinarian for a little while uh but it's really hard to say like you know gotta gotta make some moves gotta make some plans but I really have been trying to encourage people especially my young people that are you know 
just about to break into the industry or just about to get that really awesome next tour and then this whole thing went down not to be discouraged but to like use this time to make a plan and kind of let them know like hey some of my mentors like bought a duplex when they had their big old paycheck rolling in or they invested in a family business or you know they didn't just sit on their money and unfortunately you know there are some examples of people that did do that that have lost everything you know they're they're Mm -hmm. they've gone in the course of a year they've gone through their savings they've gone through their 401k or whatever the roadie equivalent to that is and um you know the ones that did invest their their businesses are still going uh the the properties that they bought uh are still able to be rented out and so you know it's it's kind of a harsh uh lesson but it's a good lesson to learn right now mm-hmm. like you're starting at the bottom you will get back to the point where you're making thousands of dollars a week and what are you going to do when you get there because right. whether it's a pandemic or heaven forbid you break your leg on a tour shit happens and yep. you got you got to go home and take care of an aging parent whatever it is you want to be in a position where you've put yourself in good sorts and uh, I was lucky enough to have mentors early on that were like hey do something a little outside of the box and so it's silly and it's kind of cool but the sailboat was really that for me it's like I I can live in LA make good money and make moves so that I'm not arrested to the gig Mm -hmm. and that's that's been super important and I know you ladies love uh I've I've heard some of your interviews and you you talk about you know gender equality and what we can do to kind of break out of some uh yeah some issues that come up there and and the biggest thing of course is pay and that's been such a crazy reality for me even as of last year I found out that a gig that I'd been working on for a long time taking a lot of pride in the amount of money I was making uh a counterpart of mine doing the exact same gig was making exactly double and I that's ridiculous I could like almost have chills talking about it I couldn't believe it double double I'd have lost my oh shit yeah (laughs) i lost my proverbial shit because the the count the person who was in charge of paying us the account executive was a woman and i looked her square in the face and i was like do you think that that's fair i hate to use the f word but like yeah is that (laughs) fair to you you know this guy is actually yeah i brought him on board i've been at the gig longer than him um and she was really blunt with me and I really appreciate this and I've been trying to pass this on he asked the difference is that guys are willing to ask they're willing to put themselves out there they're willing to argue the point and they're also willing to say no so again the sailboat gave me the opportunity to not be so desperate financially to be able to say no, I'm not going to do that for half the rate. Right. Yeah. Be willing to walk away, and that's good advice too for like the younger crowd that's listening. You know, just just like yeah, be willing to to say no. It's okay. There's a lot of jobs out there. 
you know, and, and someone's going to pay you what you're worth if you stick to your guns. As right? a woman, you kind of have this like, oh, I got to get in there. I got to get my foot in the door. You kind of have this like edge of desperation. And yeah. if you can do things on the back end to alleviate that, whether it be financial, take on a third, fifth roommate, whatever you got to do and, and really build yourself up and like, I'm worth it. This is what my resume looks like. In fact, your gig's not that great. And if you're not willing to pay me what I'm worth, you know, in a kind, loving way, just be like, hey, I'd be happy to recommend someone else for the project. But I have a feeling he might not do it for that rate either. And it's okay to be honest with him about that. But Lord, just ask. That's the thing is like, I can't believe it. I was just going from gig to gig to gig, skipping along, <laughs> cashing my paycheck, and then come to find out this guy's been making double for two years. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. I I can't understand how the payroll people were just cool with that. Even, even if he did ask and you didn't ask, that's still some bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, then give you the raise, too. Yeah. If they can afford to pay out, why not just be like, hey, you get a pay bump and no one's going to complain about yeah. that. And, and people don't really tell each other on gigs what they're being paid and it's okay if you have the rapport with someone to ask the worst they say is like i'm not telling you that but most of the yeah. time i've had people be super blatant with me and and honestly whether they know it or not those are the people that became my mentors those are the ones that like dude that guy's making eight to 10 K a week. I could do that. I could do that job. Mm. I actually, that's where I'm headed next. That's what I'm going to do, you know? And if he hadn't told me that I'm might've gone off in a different direction. You know, I, I was money yeah. in 2018. I was very money minded. I wanted to pay cash for that little house. And that was, that was what I was going to do. That's awesome. I I don't think uh, we've talked a lot or to a lot of people that think about the money aspect of things is like you're describing. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. I think that is a conversation that needs to happen a lot more in our industry too. Yeah. You know, and now's a good time to be yeah, thinking about it because we are all a little hungry, and we're mm -hmm. gonna come back to this uh, awoken industry maybe a little hungry, maybe willing to jump in and do things on the cheap. And uh, I've always discouraged young people like, please don't do that. Like you're, you're dragging down the whole industry. If you agree to do something, if I, if I tell you that's a $1,500 a day gig, and then I hear that you did it for 800, uh, we're going to have coffee and I might smack you. <laughs> you know like yeah really, yeah i a loving face show. i want to hope that they right? just didn't know better you know and i think a lot of the not knowing better is because people aren't open with the, with how much they get paid and so because i teach students i'm like here are some places you can go to find out how much people with that job title make each year it's what they report on their taxes so like they you know it's gonna vary obviously but uh you can at least try to get an idea of how much that is going to pay out. Um, and obviously it's different based on your experience level and who you know and the size of the project. And there's a million different variables. So it's hard to just say, like, I always get paid this much because I don't think anybody always gets paid the same amount. No, but there's there's not important. a lot of consistency. <laughs> no, it's important to be open about it because 
it, they need to know. Like if you, if you're a mentor, you've got to share that because otherwise these kids are going to go out making 10 bucks an hour to do a gig and they're not going to be willing to pay your 50 bucks an hour. You know what I mean? And as an educator, you're probably helping coach people on the other four letter word, or I guess, you know, I'm from Kentucky, so I can't spell that well, but taxes, uh, and, and teaching people, you know, how to do, how to, if it's advantageous for them to set up their own LLC, you know, and, and for me, it always, they do take business classes, which is, yeah, for me, it absolutely was imperative that I set up my own LLC and do my own taxes and, um, you know, report things in a certain way so that I could make some serious write-offs. Uh, yeah. There's a drawback to that, that you have to pay for your own insurance. The upside of that, that my mentor shared with me is, uh, you know, taking on festivals, moving from where I'm kind of got a J-O-B on a tour and it wouldn't really make sense to arm wrestle the management about paying me as a LLC. Uh, when I moved into doing festivals and I'm, I'm hosting these, I'm, I'm not the financial backer and I'm not the structural engineer putting stamps on things, but I am involved in all those things. It is my face and my handshake at the table with mm-hmm. the fire marshal. Heaven forbid, but if and when there are things that go wrong at these events, which we all know happens, whether it's weather, yeah. whether it's um, a medical emergency, uh, you know, we all know about some of the, the the terrorism that's happened. My mentors have been pulled into litigation about some of these things. So having an umbrella policy, being able to write those things off, uh, carrying your own health insurance is something you're just going to have to do in this industry unless, you know, mm-hmm. Britney Spears adopts you. Uh, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> so being able to write all those things off in a proper way, it's a lot of work, but it really pays off in the long run. I compared like back to 2016 when I was letting somebody, you know, do all my taxes on a tour versus 2018 when I had everything set up. I was the LLC. I paid a fraction in taxes because I was able to write off my um, expenses, every meal that I had outside of being at home and learning how to talk to the different production companies. And when, you know, they're doing the per diem or even taking your receipts and reminding them at the end of the year, don't you apply that to my W like that's, or my 1099, like I, you, you paid for that. So don't, that's not income. I don't want to see that, you know, and almost every company gets that wrong. I've only had a couple of companies like not try to claim my receipt reimbursements as income. So, I mean, there's just these little things, these little tricks that I've learned over the years that I love teaching other young people. Like here, yeah. if you want to go this route, make sure to do this, 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 and this. And, you know, if you're not interested in doing that, I, I totally get it. You will pay tens of thousands of dollars more in taxes because that's just the way the tax man handles our industry. Yeah, totally. That's That was a hard lesson learned for me, too, 
And I ended up going LLC probably not too long into my career just after, holy crap, I owe that much to the IRS. <laughs> you know, and I happened to have a friend of mine who was a CPA at the time. And he was like, listen, here's what you need to do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank God <laughs> somebody knew, you know, and, and told me about it. So I try to share that with other people, too. And you're right. The write-offs are, are worth it. Yeah, I'd rather give $1,000 a year to a CPA to do my business taxes than tens of thousands of dollars to the man and it's just gone and there's nothing he could do about it. Agreed. I I tell my CPA all the time. It's like, man, just thanks for keeping me out of jail. And she laughs like, you're not going relax. And I'm like, I'm just saying like, that's why you're here. Right. It's not the most exciting (laughs) topic, but man, it's something that you could be learning now. It's something you could be emailing some of your colleagues about, Hey, how do you do this? And uh, I'm not making diddly squat this year, but man, 2022, I'm going to go out and kill it. I've got a financial plan and I want to set up my LLC. I'm going to write off whatever that setup cost is. I'm going to write off all my banking and insurance expenses. And the minute I hit the ground running, there's a plan in place. You know, I, I'm just trying to be yeah, it's encouraging. A good, good time to set all that up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. Sorry. I like totally cut you off there. <laughs> those were some lessons we didn't plan on so that was cool <laughs> i love that i love that um l- let me skip around a little bit here how did you kind of break into the industry you know how did you get your foot in the door did you go to college did you you know did you know you wanted to do this and all of that jazz uh i actually left high school junior year don't encourage anyone to be a dropout, but, uh, you know, I kind of went to school in a crummy ish neighborhood and was just like, you know, what? I kind of got a plan and I know what I want to do. And, uh, I definitely followed a band into a recording studio and then they all went back to senior year after the summer of recording this record. And I stayed and worked in that studio and helped set up, a, a local school program at one of the community colleges that same engineer ended up working for the Conservatory of Recording Arts in Tempe and uh, in Arizona. And I ended up attending that school as well as being a, a night instructor. And uh, yeah, those kids, you know, a lot of them, bless their hearts, their parents paid out of pocket for those classes and they didn't show up to their middle of the night recording projects and I used the studio time to crank out a couple records found out I wasn't terrible at that and um, ended up one of my besties and I opened a recording studio together ran that thing for nine years and and some of our earliest recordings back before we had four walls that we could stay in were all mobile recordings so back before mobile rigs were even a thing we built this mobile rig and it was uh da88s and uh we had them all synced together and we would drag that heavy ass rack into (laughs) clubs all over town and he and i ended up working in one of those clubs later on we found out that uh one of the engineers, old salty bear, you know, was too drunk and too deaf to keep on doing the thing. So we kind of moved into his spot and continued to do multi-track recording, uh, which, you know, our bosses knew about, but we offered to bands um, in their advances and 
were able to start building the studio and buying gear and uh, we pushed real we pushed ourselves really hard because we'd both worked in other studios that had a lot of debt um, and we made a financial plan that we would only buy what we could afford and we wouldn't buy cra- we wouldn't buy crap on the lower end of things at guitar center we would save up buy on the second hand market get something good uh, we had one of the very first pro tools rigs and we're super proud of uh, what good editors we were and all that experience has actually come back to really help me out this year I was just gonna ask: Is that is that all come back around this year? Since we're all indoors, absolutely, yeah. Uh, broadcasting and mixing for some television stuff, and helping churches build studios and network different rooms of their campuses. Like it's all just like my I'm getting the dust off my 1998 gears, you know. <laughs> but it's all it's all yeah. the same stuff, and. Uh, yeah, so we we worked in that studio together for over a decade, and then I had already done a couple of tours. Uh, I'd gotten the bug pretty early, right out of high school, and ran off with um, some Fat Records bands, the old punk rockers, and they they filled up my passports, and I just knew like I probably won't stick around town forever. You know, I really I kind of like. Yeah. I like this touring thing. And there weren't many girls out there. Uh, Carrie Keys was one of the first women I saw on stage. One of my band members from the punk rock world filled in for like Weezer or Tool or something. And, and uh, Pearl Jam was on that gig. And I saw her across the stage and was just like, oh, my God, there's there's two of us, you know, uh, in the in the yeah. metal world, there was this woman, uh, Jenny Douglas, who I super looked up to, and I never got up the guts to like talk to her until recently. <laughs> you know, it's like she <laughs> yeah. she just seemed like way way cool, and it turned out she's just the nicest chick ever. Uh, but I really realized at that point, like I can do this. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to have to. Um, be a little tougher than the average chick. I'm probably, you know, I, I think I admitted to one of my friends recently, like, uh, I definitely played the, like, I'm gay, nobody mess with me card for a long time. And, mm-hmm. you know, just really like kind of planted the seed, like I'm tough. And, um, you know, I feel, I feel bad in retrospect fibbing about that but at the time it was the only way at 19 years old I knew how to put up a healthy boundary between me and the dudes on tour you know and they it it sucks but they respected that and they wouldn't have respected like you're an old fat punk rocker and I'm not interested (laughs) you know like (laughs) right right yeah yeah exactly so yeah I mean I get you so it it was a little it was a little weird but you know, it also, you know, I was getting messaging from some of the the band uh, management like, hey, you know, we can't take you because the wives will be pissed. You know, the the wives will be jealous. You'll sleep with. Oh, I've heard that. You'll sleep too, with yeah. all the dudes. And so to just give a quick answer. Fuck right. Yeah. I know. 
<laughs> they're gross anyway i know like, and it, that, it was just a quick answer <laughs> i could give that like you just saw all the shoulders in the room relax like oh okay well then we can take you and i was mm-hmm. like fuckers you know so yeah. uh you know I, I ran around europe with uh, a bunch of the punk rockers for a long time and i just absolutely loved touring it really wasn't until i got into management doing tour management, production management, stage management, that I really felt like I could be myself and just, you know, I had, I had enough names on my resume. Um, I really hope that it's a different industry now in some regards and uh, people don't feel like they have to front or be somebody that they're not, you know, but I know, I know there's some teams still out there and and some young women that are like, Oh, you know, I, I had to tell them this or tell them that like, yeah, I just hope they can be themselves and be accepted. And if not, uh, there are different teams. Like, screw that team. Go find a different team. Yeah. You know, yep. but I don't think yep. that was necessarily the case back then. Yeah, I think, like, I've been in the industry about the same amount of time as you. And that's, yeah, back then there was nothing like that. So it was like, fight the other girl to get the one position that was available for one, you know, and then lie about who you really are just to get the job and all, all sorts of crazy. It was all based in fear too, is from what I remember much, you know, like you can't say this and don't do that or you won't get hired. You know, you're going to get blackballed, you know? And uh, that was a big, big thing that I heard a lot of times. Just don't, don't say this and don't act that way. Cause, cause you'll get blackballed and you won't, you won't ever work again. And I'm like, really? But there was that big fear and the big old boys club, you know, was there. And I think it's, uh, it's going by the wayside, you know, and it's more like, guess what? We're blackballing you. If you act that yeah. way, like we're done. That's, that's absolutely you know? the best part. Now, fast forward to like running my own teams is having those shared values and being able to, build my own teams and you know there's always there's one in every tour I, you know you got anywhere from like <laughs> 30 to 80 people just spending on the size of your tour how many buses and trucks and the whole nine yards but there's like one or maybe two on every tour that you're just like dude I'm gonna give you one more week to get your shit together <laughs> you know <laughs> uh but you know yeah. talking shit or um undermining people is is one of my big no-nos like blame uh if I got someone in my office and I'm asking them hey what happened yesterday and they're pointing fingers blaming other people I'm like I'm not I don't I don't have them in my office I have you in my office I want to talk about where you could work on your part I want to hear from your side and if they don't let down I'm just like you're done you know because I I don't trust people that that blame other people so you know, setting up those values early on in my team and just letting them know like, hey, we take personal responsibility for our shit. We get things done. We support each other. Uh, you know, we don't lie about what's gone wrong. And when things go wrong, we worked fast on our, te- on our feet as a team, you know, and, and those are the principles and values that I'm, I am willing to blackball somebody who's like just the total dick, you know yeah male or female so that's awesome i i definitely miss some of the like 
there are some old salty dog attitudes that I miss a little bit, <laughs> yeah. you know, like my favorite one personally was like when I was young and I, I think I was doing a loadout and I like had a beer in my hand at one point and my production manager walked right over to me and just smacked the beer out of my hand. Just, <laughs> like I'll never forget like how that felt. And also, like, what a G, you know, like, that's, that's yeah. the kind of PM I kind of wish I was still acceptable to just be like, no, you don't, <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I came up under some guys like that, too, like old road dogs that are just I mean, they're funny, you know, and really, that's like, once you get to know them, they're just super sweet guys. But on the surface, it's like, dude, don't mess with him. Yeah. And when you're new, you're like, oh, my God, you're so scary. And those are the guys that can go out with those big old booming voices and just crack a whip on some uh labor or whatever's going wrong out on the dock. And I tried that on and it's it's not a good look for me. You know, there, there's kind of a, there's also kind of a stigma with women that, uh, you know, if you, if you raise your voice like that, or you're out on the dock chest bumping people and, and talking shit, you're kind of a bitch and that's just it. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've learned over the years, like there's a couple of rules when it comes to being a woman PM and the number one rule is never, ever, ever confront someone in front of a group of people. Like if I have a problem with one of my teammates, the fastest way to lose his loyalty or her loyalty, but you know, let's be real. Most of my teammates are dudes, uh, is to degrade them in front of their peers. I, we can have a real throwdown battle in the privacy of an office, but we, we can't do that out in front of people, even in the midst of the fire, you know, I got to be able to keep my cool, tell them what I need, get it done. And then later pull them aside and be like, yo, I don't care what's going on. I'm your PM. I'm your boss. We're homies after work, but on stage, I need you to take what I said the first time. And if you have a problem with that, yeah, we can talk about that. You know, but uh, the couple times I've tried to wear like my mentor's big dude coat and go out there and rah, 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 you know, mm -mm, it doesn't doesn't work. That hat. I've never met a woman on tour where that hat properly fits. And I'm, I'm sure it's just a, a gender thing. Like guys just don't want to be yelled at yeah. by a by a chick. You know, yeah. maybe it reminds them of their mom. Yeah, it makes them really uncomfortable. Right. I get, I was going to say, I, I tend to get in the uh, yelly mode, you know, especially when I'm loading the truck or in charge of getting everything on the truck and it'll quickly be like, dang, you're a bitch, da, 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 whatever, you know, I mean, it instantly turns to that, you know, it's, it's, uh, and sometimes, you know, I'll shout back with the, yeah, I'm a bitch that signed your paycheck. So let's go, you know, but that's some of that is like, like you were saying too, um, that's just me yeah. learning though, you know, to calm down and take them in the back and like, let's talk this out. What's going on? Or you, you keep know? it funny. Like and you're, just, like you're saying, you know, yeah. I, I sign your paycheck or, you know, I'll, I'll tease dudes that I, I feel are dragging their feet and be like, Hey, can, can, yeah. can you get on that case and we'll fall in love later? You know, like just yeah. give them a hard time. <laughs> 
I think his sense of humor is like the biggest part of some of these days that we do too, you know, is uh, to have a good sense of humor, especially if you're the person in charge is going to make the whole day go so much better for everyone. Not taking ourselves too seriously is always a good game plan. Yeah. Little ribbon here and there, you know, little rubbing back and forth. I, uh, uh, the the gig I was on this last weekend, one of the guys comes walking in and said something about lunch and how great it was. And I was like, how was your lunch? You know, what'd you have? And he's like, I had a BLT, you know, it's like uh bourbon liquor and tequila shot. Cause I like, bro, I smell your breath. <laughs> and he starts laughing. He goes, that's the best BLT I ever heard of. And I was like, just pop a mint or something. I don't care. Like you're on your own. Don't, don't, have, don't let me lunch, see you on a pork like, Don't let me. I was like, don't be dropping anything. Cause you're out. <laughs> like don't hurt nobody. Be nice. What exactly have you been doing with all your downtime this year, Grace? Because I know you're normally doing what festivals and PMing and broadcast TV and all sorts. My last uh, like real gig before the shutdown was the Super Bowl in 2020. Was our last like there's an audience kind of situation, and everything since then it was just one after another. It was like watching little dominoes fall. You know, got the call from either the mayor or the insurer or the producer that like the city had revoked permissions to do the festival. And you're thinking like, oh, okay, well, maybe this will. All right. By July. And then the one in July would cancel. You'd be like, okay, August or September. Nope. All the fall stuff's canceling. Harvard won't let Boston calling happen. You're just like, man. Uh, So. I think it took me a lot like other people. It took me till probably the end of August to wake up that this thing was like a real thing and we're not just going to get back to work in a few weeks. Um, and so I reached out to some of my teammates and asked like, what are you guys doing? What should I be doing? And, uh, a lot of people started getting real social media e. Uh, and I, I found it to be a distraction, honestly, you know, I know I absolutely love the sound girls and I've been part of the sound girls community since, uh, you know, I don't know when we started, but pretty early on. And, uh, one of the biggest things I miss about being on social media is, is the Facebook groups. Um, but I had to get off of it, um, and cancel all my social stuff uh with the exception of instagram because i can somehow control myself on that but um facebook was like a downward spiral of my time and i found that a lot of people were social media grinding and not grinding grinding Mm -hmm. i was like man i i know we're not at work but i i don't think we should be spending all our time like this like we we gotta find something better to do Um, there's gotta be better ways to encourage each other and keep busy and not get distracted. I don't know about you, but I could, I could lose two, three hours of my life a day on social media. And if you were spending that same amount of time learning how to do your own damn taxes, learning a new piece of gear, getting Dante or Avid certified, uh, getting on the phone and, or texting friends in the industry, checking in on them. Mm -hmm. Some of them were not doing good. You know, like I had some friends fall prey to some pretty deep depression and I'm no exception to finding a lot of value in the work that I do. Um, But there's a difference between 
finding value in what you're doing and identifying with it being who you are. And so I just, I tried to encourage and lovingly face shove a couple people and let them know, like, you're not your gig, dude, you know, you and you'll be back doing Britney Spears or whatever the shit in a few months. But like till then, uh, what are you doing? And so we, the sound girls all did, a. What did we do? We we did some mentoring groups where we got together with other Mm -hmm. sound girls and and crammed on some stuff. Uh, I do participate in doing podcasts and and uh, I I work with the guys over at the MXU, which is a lot of fun. It's church based. Uh, I do work here for a pretty large church in California and they broadcast every week. Uh, every other week we record three to four weekends in a row. We had pretty decent sized production for Christmas. We got another big one for Easter coming up. So it's a lot of good work and it keeps me busy. Uh, my mixing chops are staying up and I don't know if you've seen or attended an MXU event, but they're like mix battles, which are really fun. Yeah. Yes. Super cool. That's cute. So I had no idea. Faced... <laughs> and they just made like a really big announcement today. Too, yeah, there's they? uh they're going to do a little mini tour about 6 7 6 7 dates uh and you know they're they're hitting a couple two or three days in a row in each town which is good cuz there won't be as many people piled into the auditoriums of course for health reasons but Right. There's so much fun to watch, and I encourage people to take this method home with them, whether uh, you have a church that's sitting empty, a venue that's sitting empty, studios that are sitting empty. Everybody's got a production company somewhere in town with gear collecting dust. Uh, I've been taking a couple, two or three people with me to one of these locations, and we do mix battles. So, like, you... I'll I'll pick one song, you know, and it's all virtual sound check, and we pick one song that uh, nobody really knows, and we each mix it, and we we try to do it quick, like it's a like it's a regular sound check. You got thirty minutes, and um, and then we tear mm-hmm. apart each other's mixes. You know, it's it's not criticism; it's more like critique. It's fun. You ask questions. Super why do you do fun. things that way? Like, why did your ear like that? Like what's with the you know why are you doing that that's pretty cool and or holy crap you got enough compressors to kill a cat you know whatever it right. is and, and then <laughs> why is there a multi-band on everything? oh that's me for sure I'm guilty. <laughs> if i can i will uh and then every person also brings in a song that they already know and then kind of get to show off on on their stuff and uh, it's a it's a lot of fun and it keeps everybody's chops up. I think most importantly, it keeps a social circle going, where you have the outlet to talk with people. Like kind of, you know, we got really used to what it's like to be on teams and be on crews and get to, you know, see your friends every day and and talk shit about the local union and and you know. <laughs> yell at the guy with the forklift or whatever's going on and uh i don't know about you i just miss the shit out of being able to do a load-in so getting to do stuff like that's really important 
yeah, I got to doing this last week, and I was like, the, my client was like, why are you in the truck? Like, you don't have to be in the truck. You have a whole crew. And I was like, I want to be in the truck. Like, I want to lift things. I want to push stuff. Let me do this thing. Let me do it. <laughs> and then the next day, I was like, oh, my God, my thighs. Like, what, <laughs> what in the hell have I been doing this last year? My thighs are exactly. on fire. I've not, I've not been P90X and anything. so fun. <laughs> Start doing it, I'm telling you. <laughs> I could barely get off the toilet the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Grace, what is your go-to beverage? Well, it used to be bourbon, uh, but I nice. I know well, you are from that's, Kentucky. That's so. really it. <laughs> you know, years of of being on tour bus and touring with dudes and and having a good time. I actually I, I broke my bourbon fader, and so I had I had to give it up. And so now I'm I'm rolling light on kombucha or uh, or Lacroix, and you know. It is a personal choice, but I also, when I shifted into management, things change. You know, there's never, yeah. it doesn't work. There's never a good time to be drunk on tour, even on a day off. You know, I swear the minute I'd get two or three in me, then something crazy would happen. And all of a sudden I got to go rescue a, a bass player from a brothel or something you know you never you never know oh, it's no. like there's never a good time <laughs> or you know uh, there's a unexpected something on the road or you know it's just there's never a good time so um you know between being 19 and getting beer smacked out of my hand out on the loading dock to fast forward I'm almost 38 years old uh I just learned it it wasn't a good fit for me anymore. So, yeah. No no more bourbon. A lot of kombucha. <laughs> Kombucha. <Boots>. kombucha. <laughs> I got real healthy guts. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions, Suze, you want to ask Grace? Yeah. Um, so this is definitely in the before four times. But what is one piece of gear that you couldn't do your job without? Um, dude, one piece of gear I definitely cannot live without. Uh, I'm so flexible. Honestly, I was just telling somebody the other day, like, I like to tour with all the good gizmos and gadgets and i normally even have a backup console mm -hmm. in the truck because i like to take out the newest show offiest thing that probably doesn't work all the way yet um but i always take uh my j and h's with me my in-ears they're you know i know yeah. i know a lot of people have a lot of heavy opinions about their in-ears but um after touring <laughs> with some edm artists especially you know, and they've, they've got, yeah, they're young and they already can't hear anything. Uh, and then we're in these arenas that are just, you know, if you take your in-ears out on stage, it's a f mess of sounds and low end, you know, I've got a kick ass system tech and they're still just like low end bouncing around everywhere. Plus, uh, the subs under the stage plus, uh, Sorry, Susan's cat just started meowing so loud. I was like, what is happening? Sorry. And then I Kitty doesn't like subwoofers. 
Anyway, my go-to um, piece of gear is definitely my my J and H in ears. I I splurged and bought the real expensive ones, and um, mm. mostly because the technology I believe in behind these in ears uh, came about from working with EDM artists who, you know, they'd be like, "My ears are distorting. My ears are distorting," because they'd they'd First of all, they have these over-compressed waveforms that they're already working with from, you know, that they produced in their mm-hmm. studio. And then uh, they're coming into an arena element and everything's just cranked to the max. Uh, the subs are cranked to the max. My system engineer's a total boss, but um, even on stage, they're still a complete mess when you take out your in-ears. And so I had these artists using all sorts of different in-ears and they were always reaching a threshold of feeling like it was distorting, but I would, I would clean up their in-ears, shove them in my ears. And I'm like, man, something is wrong with them. They're like, I should be able to turn them up pretty darn loud and not have this, cluttered kind of distortion feeling happening and um right after digging in with the jnh team it just turns out that a lot of these companies don't go to the extra mile to make sure that those little drivers in there are just perfectly time aligned so when you crank them up they really are Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily distorting but they're definitely like out of alignment and then they hit your ears and everything's just weird and my jnhs i can just barely turn up to like five or six and it's they're way too loud and they sound clear and perfect and so um any chance i've gotten to outfit an entire tour with them i absolutely do um the church i'm working with everybody has them and they're not even blasting the edm style stuff but uh I just, I haven't found the limit of them. So, you know, people think I'm weird, but like, I'll be out at front of house and I use them. You know, I don't, I don't use cans. I, mm-hmm. I'll take the time to t- twist my in-ears in and out because yeah. the quality is so good that even if I have these huge stacks hitting me, I can hear the delays behind me. You know, I put these things in, I just feel really confident that what I'm soloing or, or digging into is exactly what I'm hearing. Very cool. Yeah. I love Jage. They're, they're awesome. I need to get a new pair <laughs> yeah. before I go back to work. <laughs> well, Grace, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. We're going to wrap up, but man, we could probably chat all day about fun, cool, awesome things. Uh, listen to Grace on the MXU podcast with all the boys there. Uh, she's got some cool stuff that she talks about on some of the episodes that I've heard you on anyway. I haven't listened to all of them, but uh, very cool. And I listened to your interview on Signals Noise a while back, too. Very cool. So uh, after you listen to the Sound Girls podcast, head over there and listen to all the other ones. Thanks so much for having <laughs> Thanks so much, Grace. Yeah, thanks so much so for having me. It was so great to get to know you. Absolutely love the Sound Girls. Feel, feel free to hit me up on uh instagram or through the sound girls website uh i'll candidly answer any question anybody has about anything i'm an open book and i encourage everyone pass it along if you got it thank you for listening to the sound girls podcast you can find out more information on the website soundgirls.org 
Hi, this is Christian from the A Sound Effect Podcast. In our latest episode, you'll hear field recorder's adventurer George Vlad from Mindful Audio talk about his travels and work, including his latest library, African Desert, all at asoundeffect.com forward slash podcast. Hi, this is Michael Helms, host of the Location Sound Podcast. My recent guest is production sound mixer Byron Mayer, based out of Copenhagen, Denmark. We talk about recording sound on the feature film Torbos, the official Oscar entry for South Africa. Check out the latest episode.